Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. This is my mom. Am I going to get paid for this? <laughs> and Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air. That's how I know. <laughs> On Relevant yeah. Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Wake up, America. It's Friday, March 3rd. Good morning, and welcome back to the final hour of Morning Air on this first Friday and the Feast of St. Catherine Drexel. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverins and producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us across America and beyond here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I really do appreciate it. On this Friday, let's remember the sacred heart of Jesus, as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray the Stations of the Cross sometime today. If you can, you can do it in private, or you can head to your parish and and pray it uh, with a group. Uh, It's a beautiful thing, a great uh, devotion here uh, during Lent. Again, a big welcome to all of our new Relevant Radio listeners in Metro Detroit, Michigan. Uh, This week, Relevant Radio 1030 AM went on the air in the Motor City, along with four other FM stations uh, in the area, area that I know very well because I spent almost a decade working there uh, on TV at at Fox 2. Make sure that you tell your friends uh, in Metro Detroit and the Ann Arbor area to tune in and make Relevant Radio a part of your everyday lives and also uh, be with us here during during, uh, this Lenten journey. So welcome aboard uh, to all the good folks in Michigan. I want to bring in Glenn and Sarah. G- Glenn, what are a few of the big stories that are making headlines uh, this hour here on this first Friday? Well, the verdict's in now, just waiting for sentencing today for Alex Murdoch. The once wealthy, high-profile South Carolina lawyer faces 30 years to life in prison without parole. He was found guilty Thursday of murdering his wife and son. Prosecutors argued Murdoch was uh, about to be exposed for stealing millions from his clients and committed the murders to gain sympathy. His story did not gain traction, though. Uh, After weeks of testimony, the jury came back in just a couple hours and said guilty. I'm Alan Wilson. I'm South Carolina's attorney general. And our criminal justice system gave a voice to Maggie and Paul Murdoch, who were brutally mowed down and murdered on the night of June 7, 2021, by someone that they loved and someone that they trusted. Glenn, uh, it really is uh, a human tragedy, an extremely uh, sad situation for a a family, for a father to kill uh, his wife and his uh, 22-year-old son. Uh, The minimum sentence is uh, 30 years to to life, and it's a a reminder uh, that uh, you— you sow what you reap, and uh, you know it's 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 just a really sad situation. And um, you know, I, you, you can't lie, you can't cheat, you can't steal for other people, and especially you cannot uh, murder, especially your loved ones. No, very evil story. Nothing, uh, nothing more to it than that. Just very evil and very sad. It did uh, capture the nation's attention in part uh, because of uh, he's a wealthy, a wealthy lawyer. How can that happen? But uh, yeah, it did. So uh, very, very sad. We do have some good news, though, in terms of uh, the life issue. Walgreens said Thursday it won't sell abortion pills by mail in 20 conservative-led states where attorneys general in those states uh, sent a letter uh, saying, you better not do that here. 
Yeah, that is uh, that is good news, and it just goes to show uh, that the pressure is working. All those protests from many different pro-life groups, uh, including uh, Students for Life of America and the Pro-Life Action League. We just had Eric Scheidler on the other day to talk about it. Uh, it is making a difference. So uh, we continue uh, to battle on because uh, the abortion pill is not good for women. It's not good for America. No, no, not good for babies especially, but uh, it's not like taking a taking an aspirin, as we've talked about uh, a lot here on, on Relevant Radio. But, uh, hey, with that, uh, one more bit of news, and that's, uh, you know, America's sport anymore. We grew up, baseball was the national pastime, but we are talking football year-round these days, including this hour. Absolutely. Uh, Glenn, I know you're a Vikings fan. I'm actually a Bears fan. But we're going to talk uh, to a two-time Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chief Harrison. Butker is going to be with us coming up at the bottom of the hour. Uh, you're going to hear my conversation that I had with him. Uh, we talked yesterday. Uh, it was impressive. Uh, he is a compelling witness uh, for our faith. Uh, he loves our Lord, our Lady, and I mean, the guy is the real deal. So stay tuned. Coming up at the bottom of the hour uh, here on Morning Air, Harrison Butker of the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, as always, um, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Appreciate it. Hey, sure thing, John. And we always begin every hour in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings and always through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. Pope St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every morning when we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. As we do uh, every morning, our power scripture from the playbook of life is from Luke 11, 9, and 10. Jesus the Lord says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. During this Lent, we are called to prayer to prayer with great childlike trust and faith. The Lord wants us to pray with gratitude and to keep on asking, knowing that the Lord knows what is best for you. God answers our prayers if they are according to His will. We may not always like the answer, but He does answer. So you should never quit, don't give up, keep on knocking, keep on seeking and asking because God will answer you. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer from the chaplain of divine mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, um, I want to, uh, to talk about this morning as something that is uh, somewhat uh, concerning. Uh, it's uh, obviously we, we talk about uh, the issue of abortion here on on the show quite a bit, the issue of life. Uh, but uh, this is something that uh, is now not only uh, affecting, uh, you know, everyday folks, but it's also affecting uh, future medical doctors and current OBGYNs. The American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs was banned from attending uh, the annual Council of Resident Education in Obstetrics and Gynecology Medical Education Conference uh, earlier this week. And you got to 
be wondering why. Joining us live from the Chicago area is Morning Air regular contributor Mary Helen Fiorito uh, with much more on uh, this banning of the pro-life OBGYNs. Mary is an attorney, a public speaker, and a commentator on issues involving Catholic Church teachings, administration, and religious freedom. She holds the position of the Cardinal Francis George Fellow at both the Ethics and Public Policy Center and the DeNicola Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. Good morning, Mary. Thanks so much for joining us. Great to be with you once again on this first Friday. Good morning, John, and good morning to all of your listeners. Thank you for having me again. Well, Mary, uh, can you uh, give us the lowdown? What what uh, is happening? What happened uh, at this annual OBGYN medical education conference earlier uh, in the week? Well, it's it's really infuriating because, as you mentioned, the Council on Resident Education in obstetrics and gynecology, called CREAG for short, uh, is part of the American College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, ACOG, um, which is a, a name that probably any of your listeners who have had a baby would, would know. Um, so they, they pride themselves. They say that they are dedicated, this is right from their description on their website, dedicated to the promotion and maintenance, maintenance of excellence in residency education in obstetrics and gynecology to improve all aspects of residency education in obstetrics and gynecology and to promote and maintain high standards. But as you noted earlier this week, the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, who has always been able to at least have a, um, if not invited to speak, have a information table present at this conference for um, OBGYNs who are pro-life and who don't want to include abortion and sterilization as part of their practices. Um, and, you know, to at least let them know that they're there and, and pick up information from their table were banned from the conference entirely. They were not even allowed to enter the building, which is absolutely you know, appalling for an organization that claims to represent scholarly, uh, you know, fact-based medical education, um, they should not be afraid of people who hold a different point of view on the issue of abortion. I mean, we, we know from pretty much every poll taken since the Dobbs decision that Americans are pretty evenly divided on abortion as a whole. You have about half of all Americans saying it should be illegal in all, almost every case, and then the other half of Americans saying it should be legal, at least in some cases. And when you look at what Roe versus Wade held, which was abortion for all nine months for any reason whatsoever, that's what Roe permitted legally, you only have about 18% of the country who uh, supports that. So really, you know, you do have an American populace, and among that are included women of childbearing age, who, who don't like abortion, who would never choose abortion for their own family, yet Yet ACOG and CREOG are keeping pro-life doctors from even talking to residents. You know, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, back in the late 80s, early 90s, there was a, a, a reporter for the Los Angeles Times who actually won a Pulitzer Prize for this, who interviewed all of his uh, fellow reporters, uh, especially people who reported on the abortion uh, issue, and asked them, um, first of all, do you know anyone who is pro-life? And, or are you pro-life yourself, or do you know anyone who's pro-life? And the vast majority didn't even know one person, not one, in their entire social circle or familial circle, one person who was pro-life. So obviously that's going to, that kind of bias is going to impact their reporting. And now they're trying to do the same kind of thing with doctors to make certain that doctors don't even know 
another doctor who won't do abortions or who who says that they're pro-life. I mean, this is very, very troubling. And just at a very basic level, John, what are they afraid of? I mean, you know, as as a pro-life attorney, I have no hesitation whatsoever debating an abortion attorney. I, I did that very frequently, you know, back when colleges weren't safe spaces and we could actually have debates about issues we disagreed on. Um, but I did that quite regularly. And I've never, because I know we have the truth on our side. We have science on our side. I am not afraid of the other side's arguments at all. Mary, you read my mind. Argument. You read my mind. as you yeah. Literally, as you were saying that, I was jotting down the words science and truth. <laughs> because right. we do have, science is clearly on our side, and, and so is exactly. the truth. It, it is, it's a baby. It's not a glob of tissue. And right. uh, the, the ultrasounds uh, prove it uh, in a compelling way. You know, what does this say uh, about how effective uh, the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs actually is? Uh, it's in some ways it's sort of a badge of honor that they're not allowed in there because that means they're making a difference they're they're actually standing up for something that they really believe right and you know you look at their their website and and the documents that they produce and the medical studies that they author they never mention religion at all they don't have to because science is on their side this is not a religious organization although there are many catholic OBGYNs who are part of it um, as you would expect but they're not a religious organization. And what, what ACOG is doing by keeping the pro-life doctors out of this CREOG conference, they're trying to obtain by force what they can't obtain by persuasion. So they know that they can't get every single doctor um, to want to do abortions or refer for abortions. And in fact, there's a pretty high percentage of OBGYNs nationally right now who don't do them. And many won't even refer for them. So they know it's a abortion is a business that a lot of OBGYNs don't want to get involved with. Uh, they don't want to get involved with the freestanding for-profit abortion clinics that are operating. You know, they know the, the, the Dr. Gosnell, that, that horrible doctor in, um, in uh, Pennsylvania, in Philadelphia, who was, you know, had women dying in his clinic and was doing abortions well after viability and snapping babies' necks when they were born alive. They don't want to be associated with all of that dirty medicine that, that you see sometimes in the abortion industry. But, you know, they can't convince everyone, you know, within their ranks to, to do abortions, but they can make sure that they never hear a pro-life perspective. So again, if you have to force your opinions in this way and to keep people from the information that they need, that shows to me that you're not very, you're not very sure about your own position to begin with. Uh, Mary, uh, we have just a little over a minute to go. Uh, just your thoughts on just how dangerous it is uh, that medical students uh, are being literally, uh, you know, programmed, you know, brainwashed uh, into thinking that it is normal uh, to, and it's okay to intentionally kill the, the little unborn babies and under uh, the umbrella of so-called women's health care. Right. Well, you know, it used to be that the Hippocratic Oath contained a promise, that doctor, the oath that doctors have to take when they graduate from medical school, that they would not perform or, you know, do other things to provide for an abortion. That was part of the Hippocratic Oath for a reason, because you become a doctor to save life, not to take life. And I just find it, you know, absolutely galling that these doctors would essentially say to any other American woman who's pro-life, we're not even going to have a doctor available for you who, if you undergo a complication in your pregnancy, as I did, um, and you say, I'm not aborting, we'll know how to treat you or we'll want to treat you because you're not going to have an abortion. I mean, it not only jeopardizes, I think, the consciences of all these residents, these medical residents, but it also jeopardizes pro-life American expectant moms down the road 
if they run into a complication with their pregnancy because there won't be doctors who even understand what they mean when they say, I'm not going to do this to my child. I want you to save us both um, because that's our, you know, we, we, we work to save mother and child together. We don't sacrifice one at the expense of the other either way. Well, Mary, we'll have to leave it right there. Uh, terrific analysis. Thanks for bringing this issue uh, uh, to the table. Uh, as always, really appreciate it. My pleasure, John, and a wonderful weekend to you and all of your listeners. Thanks for having me again. Many blessings to you. Mary Helen Fiorito, you can find her on Twitter, at Mary Fiorito. We need to take a short break. When we come back, you'll hear my inspiring conversation with two-time Super Bowl champion Harrison Butker of the Kansas City Chiefs, who shared his passion for our Catholic faith, our Lord Jesus Christ, Our Lady, and kicking field goals to become a saint. So stay with us as this Friday edition of Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And uh, welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this first Friday here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's always a privilege to be with you as we head into the weekend. And now let's talk some football and faith, folks. It's been nearly three weeks since the Kansas City Chiefs came from behind to beat the Philadelphia Eagles in Super Bowl 57 in Glendale, Arizona. Perhaps one of the most memorable Super Bowls of all time. In front of a worldwide stage, a worldwide television audience, the Chiefs' Harrison Butker did something that very few kickers have ever done in NFL history. That is, win a conference championship game with a field goal and then kick a dramatic field goal to win the Super Bowl. Let's pick it up uh, in the AFC title game as heard on Westwood One. We are tied at 20. 45-yard attempt. Looking for the lead. Bucker. Snap. Placement. Bucker's kick. He's got it. The Kansas City Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl for the third time in four years. And the Chiefs will try to go up with a 27-yard field goal by Harrison Bucker. Winchester the snap. The hold by Townsend. The kick is away and good. It's over. The Chiefs have won. The Chiefs have won Super Bowl 57 on a game-winning field goal. What a tremendous moment. I had the blessing of talking to Harrison Butker, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs two-time Super Bowl champion and one of the very few kickers ever to boot a game-winning field goal in the final minute of a Super Bowl. Harrison Butker is a husband, a father of two children with one on the way, and a man of tremendous faith in God and a devout pro-life Catholic. Here's the first part of my conversation with Harrison Butker. Good morning, Harrison. Welcome to Morning Air. Thanks so much for joining us. It is great to, to be with you here on Relevant Radio for the very first time. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Well, Harrison, uh, what uh, what's it like uh, to hear uh, those uh, highlights of those two dramatic kicks uh, that led to you winning uh, your second Super Bowl championship in the last four years? It's definitely surreal. That's the first time I've heard, the, or at least one of the radio broadcasts, of either one of those kicks and sometimes I forget that my name's Harrison Butker I'm just sitting back in awe at that uh at those games at the way they came down and a lot of times it doesn't even feel like I'm the one kicking the football and even playing in the game I feel like I prepare 
to the best of my ability throughout the week leading up to the game. And then when I go out there, I, I trust in our Lord. I trust in our Blessed Mother. And I really do feel like our Lord completely takes over and his will is done out there. And I wouldn't be able to handle those type of pressure kicks if it wasn't for that foundation in Jesus Christ. Well, Harrison, you're so humble and giving credit to, to the Lord. And, you know, uh, as, as a former sports reporter, I, I got to think to myself, what was going through your mind uh, as uh, you're looking at those goalposts and, and getting ready to kick that game-winning field goal in Super Bowl 57? Well, I figured that the game was probably going to come down to a field goal. So when we got the football late in the game, I went to the kicking net. I tried to stay in somewhat of a bubble, just concentrate on my process, concentrate on getting my body and my mind ready to go. Normally on the sidelines, I am praying. I'm praying a rosary normally to calm myself down because if you give too much credit to the pressure that's around you, then a lot of times you're going to fold under that pressure. So I try to make the biggest kick of my career feel the same as a kick that I have in practice. And I make my practice kicks feel like the biggest kick of my career. So the idea behind that is trying to make every kick feel like the exact same kick. But I'm not a robot. When I do go on, when I went on that field for the game-winning kick, I did have a lot of nerves. But again, when that foundation is in prayer, it can calm me down. It has a tremendous effect, and it allows me to trust in our Lord that His will is going to be done. And, of course, James had a great snap. Tommy had a great hold and I kicked the ball like I've been kicking footballs my entire career and thankfully God willed for that ball to go through the uprights and we won the Super Bowl we still had eight seconds left but that put us up and put us in a great position to then win the game. When you uh, reflect on that moment uh, how important how much of a key is it uh, to pray uh, to the Blessed Mother and ask for her intercession with those Hail Marys uh, as part of the rosary? The rosary has been so instrumental for me to continue a life of, of grace. When I came back into the church in college, I went to confession, and then my best friend, Grant, was a big proponent of praying a daily rosary. So I started that, and I felt like that really encouraged me to stay on the straight and narrow path, and it's something that I've continued to do. It's brought a lot of peace to my life, and I definitely need peace during a pressure-filled NFL football game. So Usually when the defense is out on the field, I'm praying a ton of Hail Marys, and then when the offense gets the ball, that's when I try to get back focused in on football and then go out and do my job. But I'm so thankful to have the rosary and get into that meditative prayer and kind of just let our Blessed Mother and our Lord speak to me. Well, uh, our very own uh, Father Rocky, the CEO of Relevant Radio, always says, uh, the more you pray, the better things go. And uh, Blessed Mother uh, was with you, no doubt about it. How do you put things in perspective, uh, Harrison, um, uh, how football and winning NFL championships really, as great as it is, as great as of an accomplishment, it doesn't define your life? You said it. It doesn't define me. I think God has definitely given me a platform. I have this talent to kick footballs, and the NFL is probably the biggest sport in America. It's growing across the world, and a lot of times fans are locked in on the big-time field goals that can decide a game. So God's put in me, has put me in this position, and now I'm, I'm able to do interviews where people say, wow, Harrison, you've won two Super Bowls, the game-winning kick. How does it feel? And I can give all the glory back to God because without him, I am nothing. So I am so grateful for this platform. This is the 
job that God's put me in. This is the talent that he's given me for now. I know it's not going to be for long. The NFL stands for not for long. And at some point, I won't be able to kick field goals anymore. And I'll have to use my talents in, in some other manner. But everyone has been given talents that we should use, that we should multiply, and always give them back to our Lord and, and glorify him in whatever we do. So I am thankful for this platform, but I, I definitely have to push away those temptations to define myself as this NFL player that people adore and almost treat me like an idol. I, I have to push all that, that away and say, no, our Lord is the one that should be worshipped. He is the one that we should follow. He is our God and our Savior, and that's where all the attention should be. And uh, when you look back uh, to Super Bowl 57, uh, you actually uh, failed uh, in that first uh, quarter, uh, missing a a 42-yard field goal. That's part of the game. Uh, Nobody makes every single field goal. Nobody uh, accomplishes their goal every single time. Uh, Sometimes you learn more uh, from failure than you do from uh, a victory. Completely. Selfishly, I would love to never miss a field goal. I would love to have successes in everything that I do in life. But because of concupiscence, we are disordered. And I think our Lord allows us to have suffering so that we can purify our souls, that we can get out of this rut of sin, that we can grow in virtue. And I would obviously would have loved to have made that kick. But this season, especially with some other kicks throughout the season, big kicks that I missed, I was able to learn to grow in humility. I had to understand that I can put everything I possibly can into football. I can train as hard as possible. I can make my practices as best as I can. But if I'm going to fail, then I have to trust that that is God's will and that he has a better plan for my whole life, right? Because in football, it's not good to miss kicks. It's not good to fail. But our Lord is thinking about our souls and what do we need to be purified to grow so that we can be ready to meet him one day face-to-face and hopefully share the beatific vision with him and all the saints. That's what I try to remind myself, that his will is greater than my own will, and that if I, if I am experiencing suffering, it is for a greater good, and I need to accept that suffering and try to grow as best I can throughout it. Harrison, I want to share with you yet one more highlight. This is not uh, one of uh, your famous uh, field goals. This is a highlight that came during the family rosary across America with Father Rocky just a few days right before the Super Bowl win. An 11-year-old boy called into the show and prayed for the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. We have 11-year-old Sebastian on the line from Mundelein, Illinois. Thank you for calling. What's your prayer intention? I'd like to pray for the end of abortion, for all the people in the earthquakes in Syria and Turkey. And I'd also like to pray that the Chiefs win in the Super Bowl on Sunday. That the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Like Sunday. father, like son. I think what this is Jim's son. What is a youngster son. from Mundelein doing uh, rooting for the Chiefs? I just like the Chiefs. Thank you, Sebastian. God bless you. We'll pray for those intentions. Harrison, uh, your reaction to a little Sebastian and the power of prayer. Well, I think his prayer and the prayer of all those that were listening definitely helped. It's been very humbling for me to come into contact with so many people that say, wow, I was praying for the Chiefs to win. I was praying for you to make that field goal. And it does really solidify in my mind the fact that this is not me doing any of these things out there. This is our Lord that's working through me. The power of prayer is so important, and I think we can't ever underestimate what we can achieve and what God wants for us 
if we just ask. It's as simple as that. We should be asking for things and know that if we're not granted that prayer, it probably isn't God's will. So I've, it's been very humbling for me to see the amount of people that are praying for me, for the Chiefs, and it just encourages me to continue to pray for those around me, to pray when I'm having issues, to pray when those around me are struggling, because I think God is, is always willing to answer our prayers. We just have to ask. Uh, I'm sure that uh, there were a lot of uh, folks who prayed uh, for you and the Chiefs that were on hand uh, during the championship parade in Kansas City. Uh, how special has this whole experience been from uh, winning Super Bowl 57 and then the amazing reception that uh, all of those uh, folks gave you? It's been very special. I think sometimes you forget how many Chiefs fans there are out there throughout the country at the parade. I don't know the exact numbers, but it was close to a million, I believe, of just diehard Kansas City Chiefs fans yelling everyone's names, just enjoying the moment. They were so proud of everything that we had accomplished. And it's, it's very humbling to be somewhat of a, of a role model for a, a lot of fans. But I will say, and I mentioned this before, our, our, the person that we worship should be Jesus Christ, not any one player, not any one celebrity, not any athlete. And Jesus needs to come first before football or, or anyone else. But it is very humbling. And I'm, I'm, again, I'm very grateful to be in this position. And God's put me on this platform. And I'm, I'm just trying to give all the glory to him and put all the attention on him. You must have been extremely uh, uh, grateful to our Lord. Uh, the fact that you, you won the Super Bowl on the same field that in which you were injured back uh, in week one of the season. You went on the IR for a month. Uh, was this a, a true test of, of your perseverance and your faith in God's will? That is very interesting. I got injured week one at State Farm Stadium, and then the Super Bowl was played in State Farm Stadium. And thankfully, I didn't have and another injury there, I didn't slip, but, you know, where, when I experienced the one of the biggest setbacks of my career, probably the biggest setback of my career, getting injured and missing four games, that was a huge setback for me, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to return for the rest of the year. I didn't know if I was going to have to get surgery. I didn't know if I was going to return the, the same type of kicker that I was in the past, but it tested my faith, and I had to trust in our Lord that he had a good plan and he definitely had a good plan we were able to finish the year go to playoffs have some tough games getting to the super bowl then another tough game in the super bowl and we were able to to win the super bowl so i am so thankful for his plan and i, and I do want to say that god has great plans for us no matter if it ends in worldly failure i could have missed that game winning super bowl kick we could have lost that game but i still would have been very grateful to God for the plan, because at the end of the day, the humiliation that I could have potentially experienced in the game by missing the kick, the humiliation that I experienced by missing some kicks throughout the season, that was all for the betterment of my soul. I was able to grow in virtue in ways that I probably wouldn't have grown if I didn't have that type of suffering. So I am grateful for him, and it's actually made me a much better husband and father to recognize my own nothingness, to recognize that everything... Uh, that I'm able to accomplish is because of the strength that God God gives me. So God's plan is always better than our own plan, even if it ends in worldly failure. Wow, what an amazing man of faith and absolutely fascinating conversation with two-time Super Bowl champion Harrison Butker of the Kansas City Chiefs. We need to take a short time out. When we come back, 
Harrison Butker will tell us about his devotion to the Holy Eucharist, the brown scapular and Our Lady, and his vocation as a father and a husband. Stay with us. There is much, much more to come as Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Harrison Butker, 25 of 27 on the year. 49-yard attempt. And that kick is good. First points of the game. This will be 34 yards. Townsend on the hole. And Butker right into the net and good. So many memorable highlights and moments for Harrison Butker. Welcome back uh, to Morning Air on this first Friday. I'm John Morales. It's so good to be with you here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And we now continue with part two of my conversation with two-time Super Bowl champion and devout Catholic Harrison Butker of the Kansas City Chiefs. You've been wearing a, a brown scapular uh, since your college days, uh, but you never wore it during NFL games uh, until you, you got injured. What does uh, the brown scapular and a devotion to our Blessed Mother, to Our Lady, mean to you personally? Well, when I found out, I think this was in college, that if I wore the brown scapula and prayed a five-decade rosary every day, Our Lady was assuring me that I would have access to the sacraments before my death. When I found that out, I just decided, well, this is a, this is a great help that Our Lady is giving us, and it would be prideful almost of me to say, I don't need that. I'm going to die in a state of grace. I'm going to die after having gone to confession. I don't need to have this assurance around my neck. So now that I am wearing the brown scapular, I just feel like I'm, I'm trying to cooperate with our Lord, and I'm trying to follow uh, the ways that Our Lady wants us to, uh, to follow to be a saint, right? So I started wearing the scapular in college, and then I would take it off for games, though. I would never wear it, you know, when I was showering, didn't wear it for the games, didn't wear it throughout my entire NFL career until this season. And the scapular never popped out at all, all season, except for the biggest kick of my career, the game-winning Super Bowl kick. It popped out, and I just think that was such a, a great witness to Our Lady, and I think she wanted to be center stage, and she wanted everyone to understand her role in our salvation, that she's here to help us, that she's here to lead us to Christ, and the brown scapular is this amazing aid that she's handed down to us that I think we should all take advantage of and lean on her to help us be with our Lord forever. What a fantastic uh, testimony. Uh, just absolutely uh, incredible. Uh, Harrison, I, you recently uh, spent um, a, a week uh, at the very beginning of Lent uh, in a spiritual retreat at uh, the St. Michael's uh, Abbey uh, there in Orange County, California. Uh, can you talk about that experience and how uh, praying with the monks and the seminarians helped you to uh, say thank you, Jesus, and reflect on God's divine providence and and the plan that he has for you? Well, the season is so hectic, and I have no other choice but to be present in all the worldly fanfare that's going on. I'm, I'm playing in the Super Bowl, one of the biggest watched shows of the, the, the entire year. I'm in the parade where everyone's screaming my name and congratulating me, and those are all great things. But because I am experiencing all of those highs, I do want to get away from the world, and I want to kind of almost get a spiritual game plan for these next five months, for this offseason, get away from the chaos, understand what's most important in my life, get away from all of these potential temptations towards pride and vanity, and spend my time at this beautiful abbey, 
St. Michael's Abbey and surround myself with these amazing priests and seminarians that are so knowledgeable about the faith and kind of just grow as a man before I then go out and try to make this, this off-season of mine, these next five to six months, as productive and as fruitful as possible before I start you know, yet another season of just being in the world. So I think it's an important lesson for everyone that we do need to take some time away and get out of our normal routine of you know, going to work, even of our vocation. I think sometimes it's good for us to get away so that we can be even better in our vocation when we return. And obviously that's something that you would have to talk with your spouse about. But I do think that sometimes when you just, when you pause time and you get away from all of these distractions, you can really grow and you can move forward and understand, okay, where are the areas that I need, need to attack? Where are the areas where I need to improve and get better? How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better father? How can I evangelize at my work better? How can I use my talents for God better? And we can only answer those questions with, prayer and with if we need to talking to a knowledgeable priest that can point us in the right direction but that is so important and i think it has brought me many fruits and i would recommend it for for everyone to take that time of just um contemplation and figuring out okay how can i use my talents and grow and be a saint in whatever god has placed me in. Was it possible to spend time alone in front of the Blessed Sacrament uh, in Eucharistic Adoration uh, during your time there at St. Michael's Abbey? Yes, we had a holy hour every evening, which was very beautiful, and and benediction, and of course the the monks there are so beautiful, and, and their singing, and the liturgy is just very beautiful. When you think of the reality of the true presence of our Lord uh, in that monstrance, uh, body, blood, soul, divinity, uh, it's awe-inspiring to think that the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ himself, is, is there uh, before you for you to be able to, uh, to adore and, and to spend time with. It's so beautiful, and we should be so thankful to our Lord for being present with us physically, where we can actually see him, and that the accents are of bread but we do know that that is our Lord Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, and we should take advantage of being present with him. Think about how fruitful our prayer can be if we bring it to our Lord and, and we are actually physically in front of him praying. And also when we receive Holy Communion, we have that time where he's physically inside of us. Think about how fruitful our prayer can be in those moments. And it's easy when you're on retreat and they have holy hours and adoration available, but even when we are in our normal routine of family life and going to work, we should strive to find that time whenever we can to be with our blessed Lord in adoration. I uh, love uh, the writings of St. Paul, uh, who talks about the imperishable crown. Can, can you explain how winning the Lombardi Trophy is not the ultimate goal? It's not that imperishable crown that uh, St. Paul talks about. Uh, our ultimate goal has to be to get to heaven. Completely. That is our number one goal is is getting to heaven. And I am very grateful for winning the Super Bowl because because of that, I have been given a platform that I can either do good with or I can do bad with. And it's an opportunity. And I think our Lord is is testing all of us when he gives us worldly success or he gives us a promotion or he just blesses us with certain things. How do we handle those blessings, those, those worldly blessings? Do we turn them back to our Lord? And if not, why would he continue to give us worldly blessings? If we can't handle the small things well, why would he give us big things? And we should understand that everything that we're given 
is, is our Lord's to begin with. We are stewards of it, and we have to make sure that whatever we do with it, it's, it's used for, for God's glory and given back to him, whatever that looks like. So I am very thankful for him, and uh, I'm just thankful to be in this position. And every day I'm just trying to, to pray and grow closer to him and, and try to understand the plan that he has for my life and what he wants me to do next. But that can only be figured out in prayer, and we should always be striving to saints. And I think if we are striving for sainthood, God will lead us in, in the right direction, and we can be assured that we are following his will, not our own will. Share with us uh, that love that you have uh, for the Holy Eucharist, especially in the extraordinary form of the Mass, uh, the traditional Latin Mass, uh, something that uh, you had um, the, the joy of being able to be an altar server in the past. Yes, I started serving the traditional Latin Mass shortly after college. This would have been my in 2017, my rookie season, and I didn't know much about the traditional Latin Mass. I had gone to uh, that liturgy a couple times, but it wasn't until I started serving that I really saw the beauty of the Mass and the differences of the traditional Latin Mass versus the new Mass, and I'm so thankful to have found it, for our Lord to have presented it in front of me, and I feel like it's just, it's fed my spiritual life so much, it's fed spiritual lives of my wife and, and my children, and I'm, I'm so thankful for it, and to know that I'm able to attend the Mass that so many great saints throughout the centuries attended. It's just a a beautiful consolation, and I'm I'm just so grateful to be able to have access to it. I want to briefly talk about your vocation as a husband and a father of two children with that third child on the way. What what does this mean uh, for you to be the leader of your domestic church? Well, it's a a big task for for us men that, that are married and have children because we are the spiritual head of the family. We have to lead our wife to heaven. We have to help her grow in virtue. We have to take care of our children and lead them to heaven. We have to catechize them. We have to be a good example. They need to know what it looks like for a man to love his wife. They need to know what it looks like for a man to love his children, what it means to be a father, and that's a big task. But I think as men, if we start to embrace that role as the leader of our family, it's going to bring so many fruits and I'm excited. I, I'm you know, ecstatic to have a, a third child on the way. I want to have as many children as, as our Lord wills, and I'm, I'm so excited to meet them, hopefully, in the next month or so. And, and being a father, being a dad, I'm sure gives you a, a perspective on the importance of uh, the unborn and promoting the culture of life, something that you've been passionate about. Yes, the, the murdering of children is just unthinkable. It's so sad that we have this atrocity going on in our country. Every life is, you know, a a unique life that that God has willed. God has willed everyone to be a saint. He's willed that child to be born. But unfortunately, we have sin in the world. We have the the devil is alive and well, and he doesn't want our children to be able to have that opportunity to be with their parents, to grow, to be saints. So we should continue to fight against abortion and that's just one of those hills that I will die on. I'm always going to speak out on abortion, and hopefully we can continue to pray and to fast to potentially get to a society where we no longer have you know, the murdering of the unborn. Well, Harrison, I'd uh, like to uh, get your final thoughts uh, for our listeners, especially here during uh, this season of Lent. Well, I think we should be treating this time leading up to Easter as a time to 
uh, unite our suffering with our Lord. He fasted for 40 days in the desert before he began his ministry, and this is such a beautiful time for us to correct our sinful ways, to get disorder out of our lives. Number one, we have disorder inside of ourselves. We might have disorder within our marriage. We might have disorder within our relationship with our children and with our, within our home. And I think we should, through suffering, through fasting, through prayer, we can get rid of this disorder and strive to be saintly people that are ready to one day meet our Lord face-to-face. And hopefully we get to Easter, and we, we've had a great Lent. We've, we've grown a lot. We've grown a lot in virtue. And then we can, we can celebrate the resurrection that our Lord finally finished uh, his task. He is now, he is our Savior. And because of what he did on the cross for us, we are able to now be with our Lord forever in heaven through the grace of God. And, and I think we should just strive to unite ourselves and our suffering with our Lord during this time, as hard as that may be. Well, Harrison, uh, your testimony is, is so powerful and so inspirational. I know you will touch many, many hearts. God bless you, uh, Harrison. Thanks so much for uh, joining us. Uh, many blessings to you and your family. Thank you so much for having me. God bless. He's the real deal. What a faith. Uh, what an inspirational conversation with uh, Harrison Butker of the Kansas City Chiefs, a two-time Super Bowl champion, and I believe a saint in the making. He really is a special Catholic athlete for our Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure you share this interview on our Morning Air Facebook and Twitter pages, our handle, at Morning Air Show. Share it with all the men in your life, all the athletes, all the football players, and all the football fans. So share it with the moms and the women as well. You can go to our podcast at RelevantRadio.com or the Relevant Radio app. And uh, now, once again, it's time for another edition of a Viking fan special, Glenn Story Corner. (laughs) Our story today called From the Ashes. Thomas Edison invented the microphone, the phonograph, the incandescent light, the storage battery, talking movies, and more than 1,000 other things. December 1914, he'd worked for 10 years on a storage battery. This had greatly strained his finances. This particular evening, spontaneous combustion had broken out in the film room. Within minutes, all the packing compounds, celluloid for records and film, and other flammable goods were in flames. Fire companies from eight surrounding towns arrived, but the heat was so intense and the water pressure so low, the attempt to douse the flames was futile. Everything was destroyed. Edison was 67, with all his assets going up in a whoosh. Although the damage exceeded $2 million, the buildings were only insured for 238000 because they were made of concrete and thought to be fireproof. Would his spirit be broken? The inventor's 24-year-old son Charles searched frantically for his father. He finally found him calmly watching the fire, his face glowing in the reflection, his white hair blowing in the wind. My heart ached for him, said Charles. He was 67, no longer a young man, and everything was going up in flames. When he saw me, he shouted, Charles, where's your mother? When I told him I didn't know, he said, find her, bring her here. She'll never see anything like this as long as she lives. The next morning, Edison looked at the ruins and said, there is great value in disaster. All our mistakes are burned up. Thank God we can start anew. Three weeks after the fire, Edison managed to deliver the first phonograph. Psalm 7120 says, Though you have made me see troubles many and bitter, you will restore my life again from the depths of the earth. You will again bring me up. 
As always, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. On this first Friday, a quick reminder, make sure you pray. It's a day of fasting. It's also a day of abstinence. That means no meat. So here during Lent, I want to continue to encourage you to try to get to Daily Mass if you can and pray the family rosary across America with Father Rocky, 7 p.m. Central tonight and every night of the week here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. That'll do it for uh, this Friday edition of Morning Air for Glenn Leverance, producer Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, our entire Morning Air team. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless America. We'll see you Monday on the next edition of Morning Air. Have a great weekend, folks. Pray Jesus, I trust in you. The Patrick Madrid Show is straight ahead. <laughs>